filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-competition litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. It was nice to be back on Buzzard Point with a no capacity restriction crowd in Audi Field. It, the crowd was loud. They were active. They were engaged. It was a lot of fun. And it, it helps that DC United won. And we'll get to that later. But it was really, really cool to be back with a crowd and not feel in constant danger. Like <laughs> that was that was a nice thing too. Yay, vaccines. Yeah, uh, when when DC scored the the genuine roar of the crowd, like a full crowd, not a few thousand people, um, was a uh, it was pretty remarkable. It was, it was like I I remember hearing this, but also it there were stretches of last year. I was like, will will that ever that noise ever happen again uh, with this many people? Who knows? Because one, you know, when's the next time you're going to be around this many people? Probably some future date that's unknown. And two, last year especially. Is DC going to score goals where people are excited that they scored? Uh, who knows? Because uh, last year it seemed like goals also were a distant thing, um, or at least enough goals to win a game seemed like a, a distant uh, prospect at best. So uh, nice combination of of things uh, on the weekend for sure. To to hear that, to actually have to like yell in the press box to have any sort of conversation, even with um. The press box is more open, so Pablo Maurer was sitting right next to me, and we're still having to kind of shout at each other at times to have a conversation from, like, three feet. Uh, it kind of was like – it wasn't back to normal fully. I mean, I'm still sitting there with a mask on my um, – yeah, the press box is open, so we weren't doing uh, mask or optional. But, like, I had one with me. So I've still got this, like, you know, totem of the present and future uh, and certainly the past – but it is nice to maybe not have to do that all the time and to feel like I'm not in danger. Uh, people can cheer. People can yell. The crowd coming into the stadium can be big again. I don't have to be like, there's three people coming down the sidewalk towards me as I walk into the gate. I'm going to go like out and around to be sure I don't encounter them. All this stuff is uh, is pretty nice. Turns yeah, I, I do want to shout out a couple other things from the game. One, Jim from... United Night Out, who's organized the Pride Night at DC United for years. Mm -hmm. um, he gave me one of the neck gaiters that he had made that's uh, no to racism, no to homophobia, no to transphobia. We're all united. Uh, and it's it's a great neck gaiter. That's, that was my mask for the game, which nice. I, I brought and you know, would wear when I went into the bathroom or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to see him and thank him for it. Um, it was great to see friends again and be able to actually shake hands or hug even. Um, and, uh, along those same lines as United night out, there's a new supporters group in the Chico mm -hmm. stand 202 unique. Uh, so I just want to shout out Jim and Jake Maxwell, who, who I know are involved with the, the founding, um, and congratulate them and, and wish them all the best because 
Uh, it's a new supporters group specifically for LGBTQIA plus and allies to join. Um, and they contributed to the TIFO that we saw. We saw TIFO for the first time yeah. in yeah. seemingly and forever. I, and I feel like it's been really great to see all of the, like, there, there hasn't been new supporters groups in a while. And it seems like new supporters groups are now popping up over the last, like, uh, year or so, especially, uh, uh, since the pandemic has started to ease and, and it's, it's good to see new groups out there with new, with new thoughts and new ideas and, and, and new representation. Right. And they're looking to collaborate with each other and with yeah, that's great. groups, not just be their own thing off right. separate. So I like it. They, they can, there's a place for everyone. There's space for everyone. And, um, there's also room for everyone to come together. It's great. It, it's very happy making. And I'm sure coming off a win this weekend helps with that. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Good Feelings podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United. As I said a couple of times now, they won this weekend, one nothing over Inter Miami. Uh, at Audi Field. We're going to talk about that in this episode. This is actually going to be a two-segment episode because it's a short week for DC United. They have Montreal Wednesday night, uh, 8 p.m. Watch it on NBC Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, and ESPN+. Plus. We'll have another episode later in the week to preview the weekend's game against NYCFC. Uh, strangely, both of these games, not at the home team's actual home stadiums, um, Montreal is playing out of Fort Lauderdale and, uh, NYCFC will be hosting that game at Red Bull arena. Like Wait, they do. Adam, that means we're going back to Durf Punk stadium. Oh, we are going back to Drove punk stadium for sure. Uh, anyway, before we get into that any deeper, uh, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, well, during the break, uh, I went to a friend's house and was intending to buy one kind of beer, went to a place that did not sell that beer, had to think of something else. Uh, and so I gave Union Craft Brewing's uh, Thirst Monster Kolsch a try. And after hanging out for a few hours and agreeing with my friend that this was really good, uh, I went out tonight and was like at a little liquor store that doesn't generally have all that many options. I was over there for something else. Um, and I happened to see Thirst Monster again, and I was like, I Thirst Monster was really good. And it's summertime. Kolsch is the right kind of beer, so that's what I got. How about you, Ben? Uh, I am uh, similarly drinking a, a good summertime beer. I have Devil's Backbone's Gold Leaf Lager. Uh, it's a good, easy-drinking beer. I uh, bought it to go over to a friend's house where there was a kiddie pool and uh, 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 water balloons and grilling. And it was just the right kind of beer for that situation. And I bought a 15 pack and we did not drink 15 beers uh, that night. So I brought them the rest of them home and I'm having one tonight. Well, we are three for three on uh, summertime beers. I'm drinking Flying Dogs, Dead Rise, Old Bay Goza um, for the second time this year because it's only around in the summertime. So you got to get your kicks in while you can. And uh, yeah, I like it. it. It's We talked about it before. It, it doesn't stand up to that first year 
uh, that they did this several years ago where the old bay just punches you in the mouth. But I, I like it better than some of the more recent vintages. Mm. Um, so I'm happy with it. I'm drinking it. I'm also happy with the result. The final score was closer than we might have liked. But for the second game in a row, DC United dominated Inter Miami. Got the W on Saturday on buzzard point. one nothing the final with Ola Kamara converting a second half penalty to provide the game's only goal. Uh, we'll get into Ola Kamara and goal scoring a little bit later in this segment. I want to start, though, uh, on the tactics side. The score wasn't the only difference in this game uh, between this and the 3 nothing win DC United got in Fort Lauderdale earlier. Phil Neville basically decided that he wasn't going to allow DC United to press Inter Miami. Um, they, they just gifted the ball to DC United in less advantageous positions than turning it over in their own box because mm-hmm. given the option that, that I, I understand they did, there. they did almost immediately start the game with a giveaway in their own <laughs> yes. box. And then we're like, okay, okay, we get it. We're not going to do this again. <laughs> they were like the opening kickoff. They almost just passed it right into their own goal. It was, yeah. it was almost a thing of beauty. Um, but DC United ended up with a possession edge that I don't know if I can recall a time in the last, 12 years that DC United had this kind of possession edge in an MLS game. They had something like two thirds of the possession, Uh, essentially a two to one mix. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jason, what, what was happening to your eye there? Uh, Well, I'll, I'll let Losada explain it. Cause after the game, I asked about this, I asked, you know, Miami obviously didn't just sit deep, but it was a lot of like, let's play over top of the press um, we'll hit these long diagonal balls out to the wing and hope that that uh, diffuses the press, so to speak. And Losada said, well, and kind of once again, like I, I, he doesn't mean this as like a dunk on Phil Neville, but when you think about what it means, it almost has to be seen as that because he said, we knew they weren't going to try and play out of the back at all, not even one time. Um, we knew what <laughs> they were going to words do. exact were not even once. <laughs> yes. Um, we knew that they were going to defend with, with two rows of four, we spent all week working on how to attack a team defending out with two rows of four. Um, so this is a situation where DC knew what Miami was going to do. They knew that after the last game, they scared the hell out of Miami. Uh, put that put and and also in that game, what was better is that they didn't just scare the hell out of them. They also put two goals on the board. Um, but this game, you know, Miami changed things, but DC still really, especially in the early the first fifteen minutes we're all over them and it's just the ball didn't go in. Um, that was really the thing that the mistake that they made was, and it, it's funny when you look at some of these expected goal plots, the chances that were actually, that actually registered on there ended up not being major chances. There were a few looks in that first 15 minutes that didn't end in an actual shot. So Opta, right. or not Opta, but anyone tracking expected goals, there's no metric for a thing where you were very close to scoring, but did not get a shot well, away. And, and didn't uh, uh, Ernan Losada say that, like, his staff analyzed that there mm. should have been 16 uh, goal-scoring opportunities yes. in that game? Yeah, yeah. And and some of those are not shots. I mean, DC only took right, exactly. 16 shots. So uh, a bunch of those are, you know, moments where DC did everything right, created the big danger, and then didn't turn it into a shot. So um, that is some of, the, some of the issue from this game is that they dominated – Miami again. They were the better team over Miami again. This is the uh, oh, yeah. blue collar uh, Miami. I actually, 
I mentioned this um, since I mentioned I was sitting next to Pablo anyway. I, I leaned over to him at one point and said, do you remember that game in 2019 where DC was playing badly, the Galaxy were coming to town, and Ben Olsen chose the most blue-collar team he could possibly choose, the lineup that he chose. He, you know, Quincy Ameriqua was starting up top. He brought in a bunch of guys that hadn't been playing very much because he knew that they would fight and compete and defend um, and avoid mistakes. This was the Miami version of that. They chose, you know, Gonzalo Higuain was left at home entirely. Um, I mean, he had a cigarette, cigarette in his mouth, so. <laughs> right. Well, you know, Audi Field, I believe, is a non-smoking facility, so a uh, big problem for him if he wanted to hang out. Terry Henry didn't travel when the game was going to be on turf. Gonzalo Higuain doesn't travel when it's no smoking. Right. It's exactly. pretty simple. Um, but yeah, they they swapped out a lot of players that haven't been very effective, Um they brought in some guys that haven't played very much, like Jay Chapman uh, started in the midfield. Um, they swapped out a few other guys. They brought Gonzalo, uh, Gonzalez Perez back, uh, who was okay. It definitely made them a little better defensively, but ultimately they were trying to make this game a scrap um, as best they could. Uh, and there was a phase in after that first 15, 15 minutes where Miami did kind of start to have some things go their way, or at least not so much go DC's way anymore. Um, Miami had a couple of good cutbacks. I think it was actually more like three or four good cutbacks for a while there where um, I personally started to think like, well, this isn't the best, like this is like a 15 minute span where DC hasn't done much themselves and Miami has created some, some danger of their own um, just playing these, these diagonals over the wingbacks and hoping that, uh, you know, a winger can get onto them and do something. Um, it's real simple, but um, it wasn't as easy as a result because they simplified things so much for themselves. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, DC, I think at halftime figured it out. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was obvious on the broadcast, um, but if you're at the stadium, you might've noticed Lozada headed to the locker room in like the 43rd minute Um to such an extent that I actually heard someone in the press box ask, like, did I miss a red card? Did he get sent off? And I was like, no, no, no. He's he's obviously he's got something on his mind because he's heading down there now rather than waiting for halftime. Um, so whatever he it was. the big excitement at the end of the, the first half, too. Right. right. Yeah, there was a miss- huge flurry of, of chances going both ways. Right. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The That was maybe the most exciting part of the game. The hardest part to write about, for sure. Um, trying to write about, I think it was like two chances at um by at Miami's end and one in at DC's end um but yeah ultimately DC still did what they do um there wasn't much in the way of changing uh the plan Losada doesn't really want to change the plan too much um but you know they made a little bit of a hard uh, they made some hard work out of this one that didn't necessarily need to be there um and it comes back to probably not putting the game away early when they Miami wasn't ready once again for the speed of play and DC's, you know, you've got to turn that into a goal if you're going to play like this. Well, I mean, and speaking of that and and bouncing off of that, uh, DC United posted this on Twitter and we all saw it uh, in real time, but just Andy Nahar's run from the center back position, just carving through Miami was indicative of that early phase. And it also makes me wonder, like, Steven Birnbaum's coming back sometime, hopefully soon. Uh, and and uh, uh, Tony Alfaro's still on the bench, and they've got options there. Like, Andy Nahar could be a 
Swiss Army player mm-hmm. across uh, uh, the uh, defense wing back, maybe even some of the midfield. And I'm excited to see what he can do for DC United going forward. I mean, like, like I said, I've always loved Andy Nahar in a DC United uniform, and I feel like he's going to do he's going to play a lot of games. And now that defenders are coming back and he's showing like these runs just from the center back spot. I mean, he's going to be on, he's going to be on the field a lot in just a ton of different spots. I I believe that's MLS team of the week member. Andy Mm -hmm. Nahar is is the full title right now. Um, I think the only defender to make the team that didn't score a goal this year or this week um, yeah, you, you, I mentioned earlier, like the, the roar of the stadium, you want to hear a crescendo, watch the, the video of, of yeah. Nahar's dribbling run. Like when he megs Matuidi, people got up and then it just got louder when he deked the other guy and then the spin move. Right. Uh, and then at the end of it, he, he puts the ball on Kevin Paredes's foot 40 yards away. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. It was, it was vintage Andy Nahar and we, we've talked about how Losada's system allows center backs, the outside center backs especially, right. to do that stuff. We've seen Heinz Ike do it. Um, we've seen Donovan Pines get forward and dribble. Uh, and, and but Nanny, so, Andy Nahar is going to be the best at it of the bunch. Right. right. And, and, and there's a tactical element to this too. It's not just fun to watch that happen. It's also if a team's going to sit that low, um, your center backs are going to see more of the ball. And they're going to have more responsibility to carry the ball forward, progress the ball past a line or two. Um, and if they're as good on the ball as Andy Nahar. Right. You know, you, it doesn't just have to be a perfect pass. Like uh, if you've got a center back that can actually beat someone on the dribble there, um, we shouldn't think of the fact that it's a back three in the same terms as like past back threes. If, if you're old enough fan and you remember the Tom Sohn era, you know, Brian Namoff playing right center back wasn't beating people on the dribble like that. Um, but we shouldn't think of it as having to be that way. Um, this team is built to have a defensive player. Defensive players are going to be pretty high up the field. They have so, at least some level of responsibility to help beat the lines or break the other team's structure down one way or another. Sometimes that can be as simple as shifting your body so that you pass away that the other team was expecting you to go left and you instead make the pass right. Sometimes it's beating four players on the dribble uh, nutmegging a world cup winner and spinning past someone. <laughs> I, I showed this to some, some uh, friends that just don't really watch a lot of soccer. And they were like, this is like watching someone play FIFA on like easy mode. Um, yeah. Just, and just, yeah. and I was like, yeah, but like the older versions of FIFA where there was like spin move was like the only dribbling move you had. <laughs> and so you just were like uh, spin move, spin move, spin move. Uh, and, and then you were through on goal. Uh, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of like a real life version of that. You're right. Yeah, uh, I love watching our players put the other team on skates. I really do. I, how can you not, right? Um, actually, at the, thinking about Andy Nahar some more, uh, he might be the the real reason Gonzalo Higuain didn't travel after bodying <laughs> him in the in that last game in in Fort Lauderdale. Higuain was just like, I can't, I can't do that again. I can't face this man. Not with no. a cigarette in my mouth. <laughs> um, one last thought on the the overall arc of this game dc united actually had more expected goals for in this game than they did in the three nothing win mm-hmm. they actually these are the two biggest xg productions of of the year for dc united it's against miami granted so sure you know there's that caveat but they're starting to figure out and these were two very different games like 
in Miami, we saw the Losada system we expect where the press creates the, the, the press is the playmaker, right? Mm-hmm. And Neville said, we're going to take away their best player, which is the press and DC United have created more. So um, potentially good, you know, they reacted. You can only play the team in front of you and other cliches, but the team responded incredibly well. Uh, even if they didn't get that early goal, they, they managed to fight through it and, and get, get the win. Um, a lot of the discussion about why they didn't get that the goal early has centered reasonably on Ola Kamara. Uh, he was the focal point after the game. Losada was asked, asked point blank uh, by Steve Goff about Ola Kamara's performance, both missing the early chances and scoring the penalty. Um, and a lot of people online, especially, seem to be ready to move on from mm-hmm. Ola Kamara. Uh, a lot of people saying, when will this team find a finisher? How can we get a new striker in the summer window? But uh, Jason, I know you and I are, are in agreement anyway, that that that's a little premature. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think if you're looking at 2021, uh, there's no way to show the math on that position um, because in 2021, when Ola Kamara has played, He's been not just good and effective, but like by the numbers, not, you don't even have to say, well, the eye test tells me one thing by the numbers. He's been really effective. Um, We're talking about someone who is outperforming his expected goals on every metric. Anyone that's measuring this, he's outperforming his expected goals on the year. Um, And that's even after this Miami game where I know the, the MLS uh, individual stats for his, had his expected goals at like 2.08 for this game. And he only scored the one. Um, and so they he, include the penalty in that. Yes, yes. But that he had a, a game where he definitely pretty far underperformed his XG. And he's still on the season very much overperforming. Um, he is scoring, like, yes, small sample size. He hasn't even played 300 minutes this year. But as of right now, his goal scoring rate is akin to, like, better than Carlos Vela's 2019 scoring rate on a minute, ba- if you go by a, a per minute basis. Um, seems pretty good. Carlos Vela scored 34 goals in one season. Um, so uh, the data behind Kamara's play and the eye test, I, I don't think if, if you're like, okay, I haven't seen that data, but the eye test tells me he's still not playing well. What does he have to do? Uh, he's, he's scored three goals in two games. He's scored four goals in like 260 something minutes. Uh, the team has looked dangerous with him in games. He's contributing in the buildup. Um, with a few times where he's dropped off and made the pass to help a transition move keep going. Um, Including in this game. the Yeah. P- Felipe had a penalty shout at the end of the first half, and it was Kamara who got the and, ball, held it up, turned it, and sprung the runners. Right. Um, so, yeah, he, he's been contributing in most phases of the game. His pressing has been – it hasn't been, like, amazing, but it's been fine. Um, the press doesn't work if he's just not doing a good job, and the press is working. So – um, yeah, I, I understand how 2020 would cloud, uh, or, or, or hang over people because it has only been, you know, less than 300 minutes of actual Kamara game time so far this year. Um, but I think we have to also remember last year, just about, if we want to judge players by 2020, we're not going to be keeping too many DC United players on the squad. It'll right. be like Pines, Paredes, Hamid, that's about it. So yeah, I, I just would say that people should not let their 
yes, he was ineffective in 2020. And yes, he looked uh, low on confidence and lacking in fitness. Well, now he looks much fitter this year. Um, and we got, we actually got to speak to him midweek before this game. And I don't think he's ever, it, it, I've never felt like he's been this confident in his entire time at the club. Um, as, as far as him just being comfortable, um, you know, not even, you know, he's not someone who necessarily enjoys doing media. Most players don't. So it's not like he's unique in that regard, but he seemed at home answering the questions, talking about, uh, how he's found himself in this position, uh, how the, you know, the long buildup of emphasizing his fitness for so long. Um, cause last year, I think he would have come back much earlier, but he would have not been 100% yet. And he might not have ever gotten to 100%. Well, so we know he, he wasn't a hundred percent last year. We right, know, know he, yeah, he played injured injury. the entire year um, yeah. and Which getting probably him probably contributed to his right. lackluster performance and getting him up to 100% has, you know, it becomes this, you know, virtuous circle where it feeds his confidence. He plays better. He scores more goals. His confidence continues to grow. Um, so right now, like right now at this moment, I feel very confused by a position that this guy's not good enough. This team has to move on. Like if it's one thing, if DC United has like 10 million bucks to go get new striker, who is a $10 million striker. Uh, I don't think DC United is going to spend $10 million this summer. Um, and if they can find an answer on the goal scoring front, you know, I don't think Kamara is going to win the golden boot. I do not think he's going to score 40 goals or whatever. I forgot the math I did earlier on how many goals he could score. If you averaged it out over the course of the season, I don't think he's going to do that, but could he score 20 goals on this team playing the way they're playing right now? Yeah, he could. Um, yeah. And if you're like, this guy sucks, he scored, he's only going to score 20 goals for this DC United team. I, I don't know. When's the last time we from. had a 20 goal scorer? Uh, Luciano Emilio MVP golden yeah. boot. So I definitely agree with you overall. Uh, Jason, I just, part of me was worried uh, during this game mm -hmm. just because like there was one moment that stuck out to me primarily when, um, he, he had a shot on goal. It missed. And then he just like, looked like he was com like just like deflated and didn't do the follow-up and he if he had done the follow-up he might have been able to get a a rebound and so mm -hmm. that moment was was uh, disappointing to me but like you have to like you were saying you have to look at it in the in the longer time frame you have to look at yeah. it throughout the entirety of the game like that was a disappointing moment but he gets into those positions to score goals a bunch of times per game. And uh, even though he scored on a penalty, he was dangerous a lot of times during this game. He put the penalty away like a striker needs to be able to do. And he did a good job. And like, he, like you said, he is effective. So like, he's not a player we need to throw in the trash. He's a useful part. Will Nigel Robertha eventually push him to the bench or force a change? Who knows? Maybe. Maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but if that competition happens, that's great. That means yeah. both players are going to be playing at, at a very high level. And let's just see which one of them uh, uh, makes it better and pushes the other one to the bench. Cause that means they're both doing a good job. And we actually saw both of them on the field together for a time in right. this one with a two man front line. Um, I think it's worth noting that 
Ola Kamara's two starts. And again, they were both against Miami. So caveat that, but they were DC United's two most productive performances in terms of expected goals created. Let's see what he can do against someone else and see if he can finish Uh, because everyone, every striker in the world has a game where they just can't seem to find the net from open play. Um, There were no like really egregious misses. It's just, it wasn't what you wanted from the the accuracy, the precision you necessarily want from your, your starting center forward in those situations. But that happens. Everyone has that kind of game. He still had the confidence and the ability to put away the penalty, which not everyone does in that situation. Uh, Honestly, what he reminds me of is a quote Thierry Henry gave about Bradley Wright Phillips when they were at the Red Bulls. BWP was, it was his first year leading the golden boot race, I think. And Henri was asked about him. He said, if he wasn't as wasteful in front of goals, he'd have twice as many already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was already leading the golden boot race. That's kind of where Ola Kamara is right now. If he wasn't wasting shots, he would be running away with the golden boot. And Wayne Rooney miss, missed a bunch of chances with DC United. Not every striker, even the best, is going to score every half opportunity or even a good opportunity every time. Uh, so I, 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 I'm inclined to preach patience and... Yeah. Uh, see see what he can do going forward because there there are signs there that he is definitely on the right track and I want to see more of him. Yeah, th- I mean this game was definitely a not a great performance from him. It's one of those classic things where a striker can score and not play well. Um, and he would be the first to admit that he probably should have put some more chances away. Probably should have played better. Um, and Losada said in in after the game that Kamara knows that he yeah needs to be less wasteful uh, yeah and, and you know Losada heading into this game also mentioned that um you know Kamara had had one good game in the previous game the game against Miami he'd scored twice um and so he's like yeah that's great but we don't we don't want to pretend that that's just gonna keep happening automatically it has to become um something where he's just as focused and just as driven uh every week um and right now it feels like that focus and drive maybe is what helped him overcome knowing that he had not played all that well in this game to still step up and take the penalty kick. Um, because when you have four or five misses in the game, that is the kind of thing where maybe it gets into your head uh, uh, when you're taking a penalty. Um, John McCarthy, maybe not a particularly remarkable MLS goalkeeper, but he does have a pretty decent track record on penalty kick saves. Um, and when you look at how Kamara took the penalty, this was a confident penalty. This wasn't just a penalty that happened to go in. This was a, he sold him a little stutter step. McCarthy committed and Kamara tucked it away. Like as if no one was watching and this was the most casual thing in the world. Um, So that's another, you know, that's an unscientific positive for sure, but it's definitely, it's the kind of thing you want to see when your strikers not having a great game, but you want them to still be confident. Can they step up and take a penalty with that sort of nonchalant, uh, ease, uh, that points to someone who's still got that belief, uh, that isn't going to let a a rough first half where the ball's not going in for him. He's not going to let that shake him up. So, um, yeah, I, I've been saying kind of this whole year, if, if Kamara's fully fit, um, there is still a good player in there. Um, and he's fully fit. He's confident. The team believes in him as well. Uh, you know, I've got no hesitation right now with him. I'm not, I'm not in of the mindset that um, your Roberta needs to play uh, for sure. He needs to get his minutes in to, to acclimate uh, absolutely. But if he's, 
you know, playing okay in training, I'm not thinking at all that it's like, well, Kamara's Kamara had that bad game. Let's switch him out. Um, Kamara's playing well enough where this is a job that Roberta or anyone else is going to have to take from him. And right now it's actually going to be pretty difficult. That said, I wouldn't be surprised to see Roberto start one of the games this week just because of the quick turnaround. Yes. We got a double a game freak. week, and this is a, a demanding system, and Ola is not a young guy. So, and Jason's going to be, sta- and Jason's gonna and be starting summer. one of these games. <laughs> well, the team actually is, is a lot healthier than it was earlier this year, so maybe they don't need Jason to, to fly down to Fort I, Lauderdale and start. I hope not, because I think I've got like three minutes of uh, Florida running in me before I'm, I'm uh, and, and, not and just Losada and Losada running. Yeah, well, I, I can't. I got zero minutes of that. Um, but three <laughs> minutes of Florida running before I'm going to have to like, like take a knee and, and they're going to have to bring the stretcher out to haul me off. So uh, let's let's hope that the team has uh, some someone a little better uh, at running, much less at soccer. So uh, at the other end of the field, um, we saw Miami get one really good opportunity um, and Bill Hamid absolutely smothered Breck Shea um, on his shot. Anyway, he didn't, he didn't take out Shea. Adam, Adam, Uh, Adam, I'm sorry. Are are you, are you speaking to us in a time vortex from uh, 2011? I I very well could be, Uh, but Breck Shea, he's, he's playing on the left wing for Miami and, I don't know why nobody has figured out that he needs to be playing left wing back in a three back system, but nobody has. And so Breck Shea continues to go between left wing and left back wherever he goes. And right now that's Miami. And he, there, there was one play where the ball basically pinballed around and eventually a through ball finds Breck Shea all alone uh, on the left side of goal in behind. And Bill Hamid does what he does and was incredibly quick off his line and completely shut down the angle, made himself really, really big and made the save. And that was Miami's one and only real opportunity. Uh, Um, And that's what Bill Hamid is there for is that specific moment. Can I say in lieu of analysis, um, Bill Hamid, well, I mean that, that, that of course, but also like, I'm going to, I'm going to feel just like, I mean, I are, I'm already ancient, even though I'm the youngest person on this podcast, but whenever Bill Hamid retires, I'm just going to be like a cold husk of, of ancientness because he's been here uh, for so long now. I mean, it, it, it's only what, 12 years. I mean, that's still a long time, but just like whenever he eventually retires, it's just going to be, a terrible situation for DC United and they, they just need to clone Bill Hamid's forever into the future and just have an unending series of Bill Hamid's. I read somewhere he's, he's getting up there on the all time lists for MLS goalkeepers too. Yeah. Uh, because of that longevity. Um, I think like fifth all time in clean sheets or something along those lines. Yeah. So Bill Hamid, he's, he, he could write some records that not this year, but, you know, if he sticks around, continues to to play for DC United, because as we've been saying for his entire career, he's really good at the whole soccer goalkeeping thing. Um, and, and there are some coaches out there who don't fully understand that. Luckily, Hernan Losada does. And Bill is doing well in his two starts so far this year. Someone else doing well and, and getting some deserved attention nationally. Kevin Paredes, uh, teenage left wing back, converted left wing back because he was always an attacker before um 
had himself a game in this one yeah. to the point that Matt Doyle uh, tweeted this afternoon that he was rewatching the game, uh, DC United. I, I guess just I don't know if it was just this game or or the last couple, but uh, he said Kevin Paredes is an animal. If you don't have him on your depth chart, you're wrong, and put him in the top tier of 2003s in the national team pool along with Caden Clark and Moses Nyman uh, and a couple others, which that coming from Doyle, that's, that's pretty high praise. Cause he pays a lot of attention to, to those kinds of players and he's done sleeping on Kevin Paredes. Yeah. I mean, this was a, a, a it was to me impressive in part because of the mental strength Paredes had to show uh, yes. in that Miami made it pretty clear from straight from the beginning that their solution to Kevin Paredes on the ball was to kick him. Um, and yes. Fodis Bazakos, yeah. And Fodis Bazakos, instead of remembering that persistent infringement or tactical fouling like that is a thing that he can do something about instead was like, I, I mean, if you guys want to kick him. I'll, I'll keep blowing the whistle, but that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to like tell anyone to stop. I'm not going to say like, Hey, I if you keep kicking him, I have to book you. I can't possibly this, have any keep calling fouls. Right. I can't possibly have any recompense. I'm the referee. I, what can I do? And, and like, it, it's funny because we're saying this and like Paredes was fouled by Grigore on the, on the red card uh, that got him sent off. Um, and yet as much as Miami went down to nine men in this game, they probably could have ended up with eight just if Pazakos had been more strict with the yellow cards. They still people. kept fouling him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean one of my favorite moments of the game, and I, I say favorite, you know, was when Fotis Bazakos uh, actually pointed to different spots on the field after calling a foul, like he was going to give the persistent infringement yellow card and then just said no more. Right. And let it let it be there. It's like you're saying he's doing persistent infringement, but you're not going to punish him for persistent infringement. Yeah. Um, which is. Yeah. A classic, classic MLS refereeing uh, yes. move uh, to to talk about the thing but not actually do the thing. Um, but yeah, um, Brady showed a lot of uh, fortitude to come through that, to keep getting kicked, to keep having, you know, getting kicked sucks. It hurts. Uh, it turns out if someone kicks you in the leg uh, and they're strong at kicking, uh, it hurts. It's not a pleasant thing. Um, so he played through a bunch of hard tackles. Um, and I mean, Miami just did not have any real answer for him. They switched things up. They, they uh, tried to bring Kevin, uh, Kelvin Leardam in. Uh, they tried uh, when they had the red card, they tried to switch uh, their formation up a little bit. They were trying all kinds of things to try and stop Paredes from just sort of ripping them apart down the, down the DC left. Uh, and they just did not have any solution for it. Um, and it's a big part of the reason why DC ended up coming away from this game saying, Oh, we should have won by more than one goal. We should have had, our chances because on the left wing, especially, and in fact on the left wing, much more so than on the right, because after the game, Paul Ariola mentioned that he and Nahar and Julian Gressel, he said that we felt like we couldn't really get anything going uh, as a group down, down the right side. Uh, but on the left side, Kevin Paredes was just absolutely running the game from over there. And uh, that's kind of, it, it, the funny thing is with Paredes, it's like, yeah, he played really well. We're not like surprised. Um, this is kind of a normal Kevin Paredes thing to do to a team, especially a bad team, um, is that he can kind of dominate the game uh, playing as a wingback at 18 years old um, on what like MLS appearance 12 or 13 in his life. Um, so yeah, uh, he has been, he tormented Miami. Uh, I 
I do wonder if we're going to see him against Montreal because of the number of times he got kicked. Um, and the fact that DC has a perfectly fresh and rested Joseph Mora to cycle in if they need to. But um, yeah, in this game, he was outstanding. Um, as much as Andy Nahar made the team of the week, I think Paredes was actually the best player in the game. Yeah, I think that's a completely fair assessment. Uh, and, and you know, Losada, like even from Paredes' first start, it was clear Losada knew what he has yeah. in, in Paredes. He said, the approach is different. You know, with Gressley, you want to get him in combinations to, to free him up. With Kevin, you just put him in isolation. You pull mm-hmm. everyone across the field and you just give him the ball and let him go 1v1. And you saw that when Paredes got the ball, it was to line somebody up and go at them. And there was nobody cycling around to overlap or, or combine. It's just let him make something happen out there. He's, he's almost a playmaking wingback, which is not always something you see. And and so like, just, just pure data, he had three successful dribbles and won five fouls. Um, And that five fouls figure should probably be higher uh, if the game is refereed a little more strictly. So um, that's, it's it's not often you see a player put up that kind of total where it's it's like pretty much every time he got into isolation dc got something out of it um they either got him beating someone on the dribble or they get a a free kick they got two of them are in pretty dangerous spots one of them is just outside the box um so yeah he was just extremely effective throughout this game uh and you know, I really, I can't think of any real knocks on how he played. He, it's not like the finishing issues DC had weren't really Kevin Paredes' fault because he, he wasn't really in the scoring positions tonight um, or tonight, uh, Saturday. Um, maybe that's the one knock is that normally he gets one or two looks at goal himself. Uh, but in this game, he kind of that's, read that the situation he really was. put that on a wing back? I mean, in this system, maybe. Um, but also you have to get a read for the game. And in this game, since he was creating so much, it was like, well, why am I going to go be in the middle when I'm creating so much out here? Right. Um, he also had in, in the last game, Lewis Morgan on the right yeah. side of Miami's attacking midfield was their one and only dangerous player. So he had defensive responsibilities oh, yeah. too. He had to yeah. get back to defend their best attacking threat and, and, so, the, and manage the, to still do all this going forward. And the only thing Morgan did in the game of note uh, required him drifting all the way into the middle of the field uh, in a transition moment. So he had to get, he had to escape Paredes and go to a more crowded part of the field to, to be effective. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was uh, kind of the ideal, I think more or less the ideal performance of what a Losada wing back is supposed to look like. Um, because I think Paredes' skill set is very much the Losada ideal. Um, with Gressel, I think Losada knows he's got a very good player who can be really dangerous, but he does have to sort of acknowledge that Gressel can't beat people on the dribble like Paredes. He's, that's not his game. He needs that combination play to get around people. Um, whereas with Paredes, he doesn't have to change very much about, he doesn't have to say we have to play differently on this side. He's like plan A suits Paredes perfectly. And so he's like, just keep doing what you're doing. Like you don't have to think too hard about this because what you're doing is all what, what your first choice, your first thought of whatever you're going to do ended up being the right one. So just keep, keep doing what you're doing. And, and, you know, at this point I, I feel to speak of Joseph Mora again, I feel like it might be a little while before he's like, it, once the game's spread out and it's, well, that's a 2022 well, thing. Do they? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't really spread out again. Um, but yeah, when this team has to pick their top 11, uh, especially at home, 
it might be a little while before we see Mora. And it's not because he was playing badly. It's just that Paredes is so perfect for this system um, that it's hard to not start him. Even when you want to rotate him, it's hard to be like, oh, we need to rotate him. It, it takes, it's probably going to take some discipline for them to be like, all right, we do have to rotate him, even though it would be great to keep him putting him out there every <laughs> single game. We have to acknowledge that we might, you know, have an injury problem if we keep throwing him out there. But, you know, that's a good p- place to be in. Yeah, I think it's, I think he actually compliments, he and Julian Gressel compliment each other because of mm-hmm. those different approaches. We saw Gressel actually, ironically, beat someone off the dribble and get a shot off uh, from the top of the box in, in Miami. It was kind of a pass it off the other guy and it bounces yeah. forward, beat him off the dribble. But, you know, chaos counts, I guess. Um, that ball, I thought, got tipped out, but goal kick was given on the play. But I don't think Gressel had a bad game. His his delivery no. into the box, the those crosses from the end line which are infinitely better than crosses against a static defense um eventually someone's going to put one of those away or two or three or four um so i i i'm not worried about gressel either he, he ended um, up I, i'm just now because i haven't i hadn't really thought about this mostly because of what Ariola said um but since i've got the thing pulled up gressel ended up with five key passes in this game out of the 13 shots um so <laughs> it's one of those where it's a very quiet five key passes and some of that is set pieces, but um, nonetheless, I mean, if that's, if that's the right side struggling um, to do well, then DC is probably going to have some, some pretty good success. If that's the bad, the, well, we could have done better on the night, but you know, next time we'll be better. Uh, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, a good way to put a bow on, on this game. Um, it was a, it was as close to a comprehensive performance as you can expect from a, a team adopting a new system this early in the year. Uh, Losada said they're, they're ahead of schedule basically as yeah. far as he's concerned. It's, and I, I think he's right. It's nice to, to thoroughly outplay a bad team. We're not sitting here talking about DC beat Miami, but you know, the butts or there are some, some qualms, but they are not like, yeah, that that was not convincing. It was more like, yeah, it should have been more. Um, it should have been more convincing. Um, I would much rather be the team that wins one nothing, and we're like, yeah, this should have been two or three. It should have been an easy game, rather than being like, well, we won this game one nothing, but we're kind of lucky, and it's kind of felt like a coin toss that we happened to get right. Um, this was no coin toss game. This was DC kind of dominated Miami for about. 70 minutes give or take of the 90 um so that's that's a, a good place to be in and fitting for the the first game in front of a, a fully open Audi field as well uh that does it for this segment we will be right back to talk about not the impact cf montreal who, who dc united will be playing on wednesday night stick around it's filibuster Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from 
your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the Ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast after playing inter miami in their last two games dc united returns to Dorf Park Stadium in Dorf Tank. Thank you. Thank you for the pronunciation. I, I can never get that pronunciation quite right. Uh, DC United returns to Fort Lauderdale, Florida to face, of course, Club de Foot Montreal. Um, like you do. Which is natural when you go to South Florida. Uh, the team formerly known as the Impact are, are calling uh, that area home until Canada reopens for cross-border sporting events uh hopefully that will be soon because it, i i hate seeing montreal and toronto and vancouver have to play their home games elsewhere it sucks for their fans it sucks for the teams so hopefully they can get back home actually home sometime soon but in the meantime dc united will be playing them in a pink and black and white stadium in south florida uh and that'll happen this wednesday night at 8 p.m watch it on nbc sports washington teleexitos dcunited.com and espn plus uh probably not all four at once but depending on where you are they will be available on all just four try, of those just, outlets. just just try and do it just try and have the, that quad that quad view up you know this is officially a challenge do it i want to see pictures of people watching all four of those at the same time um Make me proud, listeners. Come on. Uh, we, we will not ask you how you pulled that off. No, no there will, will be no not. questions We'll asked. just admire your achievement, and that will be the end of that. You might get a shout-out. Yeah, for, but, for, but you know, no accomplishments questions. in filibuster. Uh, no questions for, for very legal reasons. We will not that's, ask any questions. <laughs> that's a filibuster promise. No questions about how you did this. Um, besides the name change, which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. And... For me, the we can also spend the entire we can spend the equally. entire we can spend this entire segment on the name change alone. It's true. It's true, and the uniform change, which yeah. is is yeah. bad too, because they had great uniforms, and now they just have DC United knockoff uniforms. So, anyway, Montreal also said au revoir to Thierry Henry, who uh, did not want to spend another year living very far away from his family and not ever going home. Uh, and and who can blame him for that? And right. so he he resigned and moved on. And uh, Montreal promoted Wilfred Nancy from within. I think he was their academy coach and an assistant coach before. And now he has taken the reins. And they kind of got off to a pretty hot start before cooling off a little bit in more recent weeks. Jason, what do we know about Nancy and what he's trying to do? Yeah, that 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 hot start I think has kind of colored some impressions of Montreal because they came out and. They beat Toronto FC when everyone thought TFC would probably be good again. Uh, wah, turns out, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, it, it turns out TFC is not very good. Um, so beating them four two in your season opener is not necessarily the accomplishment that it seemed like at the time. But first impressions go a long way, and I think that's kind of it's kind of hung around because that was a game that Montreal played, you know, very much a low block, very much counter attacking, and that's not really 
exclusively who they are. I think it's probably who they are often, but they are really, I would say, more just a transition team rather than a low block counter team because there are times where they play mid block. Um, there are times where they just want to engage in a lot of transition play, um, whether that is sitting deep and trying to counter or just having the game be back and forth because they have so much speed, especially up front, that they kind of are hard to to handle if you end up in that kind of game with them. Um, so that's really who they are at this point. But that early schedule, it it gives a false impression because they beat TFC. They were up 2 nothing on uh, Nashville before Nashville, their particular kink this year appears to be trailing to nothing and then not losing. Um, so that's that's their choice and, and their preference. Um, I got no no problems with Nashville, but that is what they do with most games. Adam, um, Adam, do you, Adam, do you want to ask your cousin about that? Uh, you know what? I, I don't kink shame as a rule. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, I'm just observing that that's what Nashville's into. Um, that's their <laughs> that's their thing. Um, and they, they did lose that, two to nothing this weekend, ironically. Yes. Well, they went down two nothing, and I did find myself thinking, like, well, you know how this ends. Uh, this game's kind of already settled. Um, but but then yeah, they didn't. Mo- Montreal then went and uh, they, or they went, they hosted, quote unquote, hosted Columbus and got a zero zero draw. So those are not bad results. It's at the time Columbus since... was creating nothing, though. Sure, but they're still the MLS Cup champions. Sure. Um, so you still have to say, like on paper, these look like good results. They were in, in twenty twenty. Yeah, but you know, three games into twenty twenty one, you're still not really sure what's going on. So you don't really have a lot of impressions of what well, the sure, league looks I, like. Oh, yeah, all I'm saying is the Columbus Crew were the MLS Cup champions in twenty twenty. I feel yeah, like that has to be. A... What else do we have to go on? We don't have any other. Just, just chaos and and magic, right? But you can't judge Montreal's results by chaos and magic. Uh, that's it's hard. Maybe to we should though. Can't I? You, you know, we were shouldn't. talking about Rasputin during the break. Maybe, uh, maybe Another chaos person and magic. We shouldn't necessarily let guide our personal decisions now, um, or or in his time. Uh, the the distance has not made him look better. Uh, but uh, since since those first three games where the results were pretty decent, they were up in second place at one point. They've played six games, uh, or in, actually, if you include the Columbus game, they've played six games and they've scored four times. Um, they do have two wins in that spell, but those wins over are over Miami, who we know is quite bad, and Chicago, who we know is quite bad. Um, and has been for a long time. Right. Um, and they've also, this is the team that managed to lose to FC Cincinnati. This is a team that lost to the so far pretty uninspiring Atlanta United um, that's in place this year. Um, and they lost I mean, the, to Vancouver, who, and the remember, best, Vancouver are in MLS. That's an MLS team, Vancouver Whitecaps. They do still exist. And the best thing about Chicago so far is their rebrand. Their I don't new even rebrand know I from the that. rebrand. Yeah. Uh, May. Doing a decent job on doing your first gigantic mistake doesn't mean you did a good job. It just means right, you've but that's still the, some of the damage. But that's still the best thing they've done this year. That's probably true. Not great for the fire, but... Um, right. I'm not it saying is, it's a good thing, but... Right. Um, but yeah, Mo- Montreal, the first impression they gave was of a different team than what they are. Uh, and fortunately for DC United, what they are at least coming into the break, cause they did not play. They're the odd team out this week, this past weekend, didn't have a game. They have not played since May 29th. They're going to go almost one month without a game. So good news, 
they won't be very sharp right now. They'll have lost some some of that. Bad news, they've had plenty of time to figure out if they're going to do something else. Um, so everything we're going to say about Montreal is based on stuff that happened three and a half weeks ago, and they haven't done anything since. So they're kind of a black box in a little bit of a way. They could, maybe they won't change. Maybe um, Wilfried Nancy is going to stick to what he's been doing. Or maybe he's going to say, you know what, this wasn't going very well. We need to maybe make some some alterations to what we've been doing because we can't continue being a team that almost never scores. You mentioned the transition approach, and I think outside of the Henri, the very short Henri era, transition has defined the way the Impact want to play. So it's mm-hmm. they changed everything about their identity, but then went back to what a lot of people think of as as their approach to the game. I guess one thing that did change was their roster approach. They've so often relied on new imports like Nacho Piatti, like Didier Drogba, like Marco DeVaio. Um, but this year, their the their top line players, it looks like, are people who originally made their name at other MLS teams. You have uh, Mason Toy, you have Georgi Mihailovic, you have uh, Romel Kyoto, all all in there getting serious time and, and scoring goals, frankly, sure. for them when they do score. Those three seem to be the main sources. Yeah, and it goes even deeper than that. Um, they're assuming he's healthy. Um, Kamal Miller, who started his MLS career in Orlando before ending up traded to Montreal, uh, and Kiki Struna, who was at Houston and ended up in Montreal. Um, in, in one of the weird connections between the league, there are a few guys that have gone from Houston to Montreal, um, mostly because Matt Jordan used to play for Houston and is now, if I'm not mistaken, still the. Uh, the Montreal sporting director or GM or whatever title they, that they've given to the soccer choice maker. Um, and that's all there. unrelated to the Brian Ching affair. Yes. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're not even getting it. Maybe that's what really caused it is just this uh, unending connection between um, arguably two of the least likely cities to connect on it much of anything in the league. Um, but yeah, Montreal's got a lot of, they've kind of built a roster that might remind you of, 2014 2015 dc united in a way uh in terms of it being built uh from mostly guys they picked up from around the league uh victor wanyama was is really the one player they brought in from europe who was an established well-known guy um and that was a big risk because of his knee in europe the belief was his knee essentially was like bone and some wishful thinking um but then he got over here and he hasn't really had any physical problems um and is usually a force in the midfield. So, you know, credit to Montreal's team doctors and everything for figuring out like, no, no, no there's a perception his knee is bad, but actually it's fine. Um, so, but that's it. That's it for them. The rest of it is a lot of guys that feel like MLS guys. There are some homegrowns like uh, Zachary Brokeyard, um that they developed. They've got a couple draft picks floating around in there. Um, even their one other attacking uh foreign acquisition uh Bjorn Janssen is a Norwegian American um which is one of those classic MLS things to find an American who happens to be uh living and playing abroad and bringing them over so um yeah there is a very extremely MLS feel about Montreal and in years past they didn't they were like the weird MLS team they did not feel like an MLS team which is Montreal as a city and that's what I was gonna ask about has Joey Saputo 
changed his uh, uh, mindset. He's no longer going after uh, 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 random Italian players who uh, may actually end up being pretty good, but uh, tend to be expensive. And old. Um, And old. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, Joey Saputo was doing that thing where, like, there would be one to two 33-year-old Italian guys on the impact for years. Um, it does seem like there's been a shift where they don't want to spend as much money um, for the time being, or at least without it being really, really well thought about, thought out. And in the past, it was more impulsive. Um, but this is Joey Saputo. We have to accept that even if he has a calm, uh, cogent plan long-term vision let's not do anything rash tomorrow he might wake up and do something rash uh, well and also I'm I'm, I'm I'm looking at his his uh net worth and he's i didn't know this i thought he was more like uh, uh the philadelphia ownership in kind of like the bottom tier of net worth but joseph Puto's worth five billion dollars so hmm? he can do of, whatever he wants of cheese money mostly. of cheese money <laughs> But a five billion dollars of U.S. of cheese of cheese money. Right. No, um, we're not talking Canadian dollars here. No, like that's more than at least on paper Steve Kaplan is worth. You know, but so, but the, there's a thing here where he also owns Bologna. In yeah, Italy, I was going to say, and right, you have exactly. the Bologna roster up. You can just go through that and assume <laughs> that at least one of those guys is going to be over here in the next well, right. nine or, to or, eighteen or, months. Or you can look at the uh, Swansea uh, FC roster. And find who's going to show up and train here for a little while, and then go away, and then not, um, then not get a contract. Yes. See who's um, going to be replaced by a DC United player in a few years. By Moses but, uh, Simon. Oh no, uh, no, no! Swansea, don't listen to this. Yeah, you can't ben, sign Moses Simon. That one into existence. Uh, but no. Uh, interestingly enough, the thing that's happened with Montreal and Bologna recently is that um, uh, Louis Binks, who was signed by Montreal and then became well, we're going to sign him from Montreal to Bologna and then loan him back, um, had his loan terminated early because Bologna was like, well, we actually want him to be around straight away. We don't want to wait. Um, so he is already in Italy. He has left Montreal during this intervening almost a month where they didn't have any games. Um, so yeah, the, the Montreal and Bologna connection is still pretty strong. Um, that's not going to go anywhere because they're kind of, Saputo, I, I, he's never said it, but I think he kind of wants to build a like miniature Red Bulls kind of thing, um, where Montreal kind of, unfortunately for the folks in Montreal who just want their soccer team to win, might kind of be second, the, the not the top rung in the ladder. Uh, they're just one of the rungs in the ladder, um, which is not a lot of fun, it turns out. Uh, if you would like to see your MLS team fully focused on winning and the owner who was previously almost crazily committed to just going nuts and trying to win and and to his own detriment is now more like let's just treat you guys as like the 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 step in the ladder before you end up playing in Syria. that's less fun i feel like than uh than rooting for a team that's just trying to win the league that they're in so i think i i don't have really any other questions about montreal montreal's weird they're like like you said, they're they're they've always been a weird MLS team. They kind of don't have a lot of mind share. I feel like, at yeah. least for me, like of they, the Eastern Conference teams, they are yes. probably the last one you think of most of the time. Well, I mean, m- most of the beat, the most of the day to day coverage of them is in French, um, and this really becomes a problem 
uh, when the rest of the conference tends to be covered in English. Um, and it's, you know, it's nothing against the people of Quebec for speaking the language they speak. It just does make it kind of hard to keep track because a lot of times, even the English language Canadian MLS coverage, because people are English language first, for the most part, they, they might know some French, but they're, it's not their first language. They end up talking about TFC. And when they don't talk about TFC, usually Vancouver's done something to garner possibly negative attention, but attention. Um, and so Montreal, even among the Canadian English language sites, tends to get kind of treated third. So they might be the Listen, least discussed team in the entire league. Are you saying there's a team in Vancouver? Yeah, MLS actually does have a team called the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, and they I are, mostly know them as a Twitter presence. Uh, interesting. More than they're, um, team. they're in the like, Western like, Conference. Jason, <laughs> the, this like the only thing that might be more shocking is if. Uh, MLS had a team in my my birth town of Cincinnati, but that couldn't possibly uh, have happened. Well, there there's an uh, an organization who gets charged with losses from time to time. I don't know if I'd call them a team, um, but they do show up on score sheets from time to time as having been defeated for the most part. <laughs> Unless, except when they played the Montreal Impact. Yeah. So, or not uh, Montreal Impact. Sorry, Club de Foot, not impact. The, Club the Foot to Montreal. The Foot Boys. The just Foot Boys. Rolls right off the tongue. Uh, so, important question, I think, previewing any DC United mm-hmm. opponent. What do we know about how they handle the press? Uh, we don't know much of anything. Um, not only has Montreal not played in quite a while, but when you look at the teams they've played, none of them are really very effective pressing teams. One of TFC's major knocks this year is that Armas wants them to high press some of the time and they aren't built for that they have a bunch of guys that are slow and old um trying they're trying to make them press so you know that doesn't help a lot Columbus Nashville these are not high pressing teams really Atlanta maybe is a high pressing team some of the time but they haven't really committed to that either so they haven't seen a high pressing team um so that might be a DC's benefit that they just um to cite an old piece of um, uh, Ben Olsen wisdom that he would bring up once a year. Um, It was always hard for DC when they had to go play the Red Bulls for the first time, because they hadn't seen any team play with that physicality and that high press, especially the first 15 minutes. Um, So maybe that plays in DC's favor. Montreal doesn't have that experience yet. And DC obviously is causing teams to alter their entire scheme. So obviously the press is scaring some teams um, maybe Montreal comes in and is like, I just don't know what I'm getting into. And maybe this is one of those games where DC can put it away early. That would be nice. The last time they went down to this particular stadium, they <laughs> did that pretty efficiently. Um, seeing a repeat of that would be pretty great, but it, yeah, they're Montreal's kind of a mystery because they have not played the Red Bulls or the union, um, or NYCFC, all of those games, they play Sports. NYCFC. Yeah, well, they won't, uh, they won't play the Sporks unless they go to MLS Cup, which seems uh, yeah, pretty much yeah. an impossible uh, happenstance, the sports if I'm might being be honest. There, but, but Montreal, yes, Montreal probably is, is the problem in that equation. But yeah, they don't really start playing the other teams that will high-press you in the East until July. They play NYCFC twice in July, but this is going to be their first trip into the deep end, so to speak. Um, and so it, it's very interesting to see how they handle that because, you know them wanting to be a transition team does set themselves up where if they can learn how to play over the press, maybe they get a lot of breakouts. 
But if they don't really know how to do that, uh, or if they try not to, uh, then they might have a real problem on their hands. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see what they do because, I mean, we we saw from Miami, like they, and, and even from Orlando too. Um, when you just play the ball long, you don't necessarily get breakouts that much. You don't get right. the runners in position because everyone's trying to win the ball and win the second ball. And no one's set necessarily setting up for that run and no one's got the angle to make that pass. You want to, you know, make a couple passes and then make that run. And if Montreal can handle the press, then that becomes a real weapon for them. If they can pass through the press, then they can, you know, they could do some sure. damage getting vertical. Um, it, it that That's They're, the worst case scenario for DC United. Right. I don't know that anyone has really been able to play through the press that DC United right. has, has when they've been during the periods they've been pressing, no one's been able to break it down so far. And Montreal doesn't really have the personnel to do it either. Um, you know, Kiki Struna is kind of an old school center back. Um, Rudy Camacho is still up there uh, starting games for Montreal and, He's never really been an effective player in terms of breaking lines or, or, or drawing pressure and then playing out of it. Um, if Miller, Miller was on the injury report the last time they had a game, uh, I went, cause I was like, I don't even know what their injury status is. I went and had to find the last injury report for them from weeks ago. Um, he was out for that game with a hip injury. If he's back, then he'll be maybe their best asset at playing out, but he might not be out. I, I couldn't find anything about it. Um, so Joel Waterman would be the next choice. He's not really good at playing out of pressure either. Um, they don't really have a six who can drop in there and, you know, Wanyama's not bad on the ball by any means, but it's not really his game to be dropping deep and orchestrating. He's more of a battler in central midfield. Um, yeah, I, I don't look, when I look at what they're going to put out there, at least based on recent lineups, even with the chopping and changing, because there is a lot of, um, inconsistency there's the formation has been three four one two over and over again but there are some players there are some positions that seem to be completely up for grabs but like if they bring Samuel Piet back in he had been dropped for a couple of games they bring him back in he's not a guy that plays through the press um they just they don't have this kind of player um so that might set up pretty favorably favorably for DC unless it seems like it seems like I want I, I seem, it seems like I'm sorry to interrupt. It seems like I want Adrian Perez just running at all of them and just creating chaos. Yeah, especially, you know, I, I'm looking through their roster. If they wanted to do like, okay, this guy normally can't start for us, but he's tailor made for playing through a press. That person, as far as I know, does not exist on their roster. I'm looking at looking at all the names. No one's jumping out at me as like a player who's an ace at dealing with this kind of pressure and playing out of it. So it would not shock me if they have to go play over the press, play simple, play long, which DC against Miami just showed they're ready for. Uh, They are perfectly fine with a team that wants to do that. The formation won't be the same, but if that's the mindset, if they want to turn it into our way of attacking you is to just play long and, and hope that we can control the first or second ball, DC seems kind of up for that. Uh, So I don't think that they're going to look at that possibility and say, oh, uh, what are we going to do? Because the other thing is Montreal doesn't have any target men or anything like that that can dominate in the air. They are full of speedsters up front. You know, Ronald Kyoto doesn't win a lot of headers. Um, Mason Toy, if he's even healthy, um, because I think there was something about him having a knock 
isn't he's a tall player but he's not a target man kind of player um these a lot of their forwards are guys that want to run in behind um so yeah i think this just on paper just knowing the players that they've got knowing the system they play it doesn't set up very favorably for montreal and i'm not you know against miami i was bordering on overconfidence um but this is more just like you know i'm kind of looking at everything montreal's put out there so far and i I don't think they set up well to play against a pressing team period. So if this were the union or the Red Bulls or Kansas city, I would also be saying this, like they just, they read like a team that's going to struggle here. Um, and on top of all of that, Clement Diop, the goalkeeper sometimes does some weird stuff when he gets the ball at his feet uh, on top of everything else. So this might be a very favorable stylistic matchup for DC, just based on Montreal, not seeming like a team that's ready for this kind of pressure. So other than, run the press because that's what you're built to do now. Uh, how else would you game plan against Montreal? What are you trying to take away from them? What are you trying to exploit? I think the main major thing for DC needs to be what their measures are to prevent those breakout counters. Um, so when they're in possession, when they're pressing forward, maintaining a shape that if the ball turns over, you're still in a shape that can defend, um, that can slow those breakouts down, you don't necessarily, I mean, it's great if you if you counter-press and win the ball right back. That's the best. Um, but if you can't do that every time, then at least be in a shape where you can prevent Montreal from getting out on the run or getting those balls over the top. Um, because if the ball is over the top and DC is up high, they are going to have a problem. You know, Kyoto is extremely fast. Uh, pretty much every one of their attackers just about is pretty fast. Um They've also got really fast wingbacks. Uh, Brooke Giard has given DC a problem in the past. Um, their last game, they had um, uh, Zorhan Basong uh, out on the as a left wingback for one of the only times this year. He can run quite fast, it turns out. It's the first time I'd seen him play. Um, Clement uh, Beiha has started a couple games here and there because, like I said, their Nancy is really cycling through players at certain spots they've had. Um, I want to bring this up. Um, yeah, in their last four games, three different guys have played right wing back. Um, so it's that kind of level of uncertainty in, in certain spots. Um, but the the recurring theme, no matter who they seem to put out there, is speed. This is one of the fastest teams in the league. They know that this is their main asset. This is the thing they bring to the table that might differentiate them from other teams. And they're going to look to to make that work. Romel Kyoto, we know from last year, aside from deserving a red card, uh, also ended up being the dominant player in the season finale. Um, we know, you know, creating, it's not just goal scoring with him. It's, he can be one of those guys that's equally dangerous as a creator. Um, Mason toy, I think has, I think he's the only player in the league with a better strike rate than Ola Kamara right now in terms of, uh, minutes to goals. Um, he's been injured. If he's back the three weeks, I think will probably mean he's back. Um, that's a big difference maker as well, but yeah, a lot of this game is going to be about when DC pushes up to pressure my, or I almost said Miami um, to pressure Montreal. Uh, if Montreal can find a way to play out where they've got space to run at, uh, at speed, DC has got a big problem on their hands. DC did a very good job of limiting Miami to, they did have some diagonal balls in this last game, but a lot of times it was a diagonal ball that someone had to sort of like set up and receive and then get moving. Um, that's good. If that's how my, if that's how Montreal plays out, if those diagonal balls out to the wingbacks are them having to slow down and receive in space and then speed up again, 
that's okay. That's not great. You don't want them to play those balls at all. Um, or at least you want them to try and play them and not be able to play them accurately because they've been pressured so much. Um, but if you have to choose, if the ball's going to get to the guy, you don't want to get any of them in stride. You don't want Romel Kyoto already at a full sprint uh, receiving the ball. That's not a recipe for success against anyone. So that is the major thing for me for DC. I think pressing, attacking, I'm not too worried about it. I think they're going to figure that side of the game out by just doing what they've been doing more or less. Um, even if they rotate, um, I think this, the squad seems to get those principles at a high enough level. It really is those transition moments, not letting Montreal have their breakout. If you take the breakout away from them, there's not really that much else there. Uh, if I'm being honest, this is a team that probably needs some players. They probably, if anything, need Joey Saputo to wake up tomorrow and be like, well, God damn it. We need some players. So I'm going to go sign some guys, um, which doesn't sound like it's going to happen, but you never know. There's always that like. Um, you roll the dice enough times and eventually snake eyes hits and snake eyes in Montreal for whatever reason means Joey Saputo is like, hi, I, I've got $10 million and I'm going to sign two guys who are 33 and are playing in Syria <laughs> and they're going to come over and we we will get better. Or who aren't will... playing in Syria. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's someone who should be playing, but has fallen out with their coach, um, for whatever reason. Um, that is the MO. Um, maybe they'll bring Nacho Piatti back. Uh, he's still uh killing it in in argentina um a, a team somewhere so someone in mls should do that anyway even if he can only play like yes. 30 minutes why not do an il Sino, except this time your il Sino is actually faster and in better shape i'm uh, it could there's be a us. part of me that's really for it it could be us <laughs> except we have a full roster right now yeah yeah um I, I think I decided during during that last spell that I, I am going to start referring to Club de Foot Montreal instead as the Miami Impact. That is who they are for now. Okay. When Canada reopens, they can uh, they can if, have their old name back. I, I, but they're the Miami like, Impact I, for right now. No, nah, I don't like I don't like this. You don't like it? No. Nah. Can I no. I want to bring up that apparently, at least according to Wikipedia's schedule page, which I brought up because it's easier to read than MLS's, which is Yes. An MLS problem that we all. I, I, I could have with. I I could have a fifteen minute yeah. rant about this, but we've already gone seventy five yeah. minutes too long in this episode. So maybe <laughs> next episode. The the thing I'll point out is that when Montreal hosts Miami, that game is apparently set for Red Bull Arena. So maybe that game they'll have oh, to be the, the Harrison Impact. All right, that's, let's... that's interesting. Yeah, that's <laughs> it for for this episode. Ben is right. It is time to to call it a night here. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. No early access to the second episode this week because it's a it's a two-game week. Uh, we will be back later in the week to to preview NYC, but we're not recording that until after the Montreal game, so we can't very well bring it to you now. But most weeks, Patreon patrons do get early access to uh, the preview episode for the next game find us on twitter at filibuster dcu at black and red U for the website send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com download subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts i i am told that ratings and reviews really do help people find the show i haven't verified it myself but you know i'll, I'll trust the experts on this i still think the best way you can help us out is uh by by telling a friend about the show. So when you're meeting up to watch the game, just mention that, you know, you learned something about Montreal or about DC United from this here podcast. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. 
I personally, I think feet are just utilitarian. I don't know why you would name a whole soccer club after them. It's ridiculous to me. Thank you.